Amen. And can I just say that seeing all those kids say those verses and things like that, that is a better halftime show than you will ever see on any TV. Yeah, park right there. <laughs> I don't have time to park right there. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I love that the kids came up with the idea of the, the different signs and things for that. That's, that's awesome. And uh, that's great. And that, that's going to help them remember that, right? Any of the adults remember what the passage was? That's right. Colossians 1.10. Right? That's that was pretty awesome. That was very, very good. All right. We're in the book of Ephesians tonight, the book of Ephesians. And um, we're continuing our study through Ephesians. And, uh, of course, uh, the whole topic idea here is on imitating, uh, imitating the Lord in different areas of life. And uh, one of the things that he desires for us to do is to walk in wisdom to walk in wisdom, and uh, obviously we need to walk in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit of God, and he speaks about that in verse number 18, uh, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, and then he continues on uh, with that idea of being uh, filled with the Spirit, and what the evidence of that is, right? Uh, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always uh, uh, in all things unto God and the Father, name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And sometimes we think, well, that's where, that's where the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit stops, right? That's the evidence right there. And then, for whatever reason, Paul just moves on to another subject. Well, that's not what he's doing. Paul's just not moving on to another subject. He's still dealing with the same subject about being filled with the Spirit, right? And the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Um, and so, yes, the evidence is, in my personal life, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to, uh, to another in the fear of God. So that's, that's how the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is going to be evidenced in my personal life. But then... He continues with the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the home, right? And so obviously our desire is that the, God's desire is that the home would be a spirit-filled environment, right? Um, and of course we understand when we talk about the home, we're not talking about the building itself, just like when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the building, we're talking about the people in it, right? Um, and so we looked here at walking in wisdom in the home, and we saw a couple weeks ago that he begins with the wife, and he says that the wife is to walk in submission, verse number 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Uh, and so a couple weeks ago we looked at uh, what God says to the wife in submission to the husband. And again, this word submission is not a bad word. You know, our world today has taken the word submission and turned it into something that is, that is not good, right? But remember, the greatest example that we have of submission is the Lord Jesus Christ. He submitted himself to the Father. He submitted himself to the Father's will, okay? 
Um, so whenever we find God telling us that we are to submit, whether it's in verse 21 to one another, or whether it's wives to their husbands, or whatever it might be, this is not a negative thing, right? We've got to, we've got to deprogram the way the world has tried to program us, right? We've got to think, hey, this is not something bad. Don't let the world tell you, oh, if you believe that the wife is to submit to your husband, you're going back to archaic ancestry, you know, you're going back way into the dark ages, you're taking women back thousands of years. No, 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 this is biblical, right? We're talking about biblical submission, right? We're not talking about what people think today, we're talking about what the Bible says, okay? Um, and, and again, uh, we could go through this for, for quite some time, but, uh, but tonight we're moving to the second aspect of this, and that is to the husband, right? So we're walking in wisdom in the home, but tonight we're dealing with the husband. And the Bible says in this area of walking in wisdom and being spirit-filled that the husband is to walk in love, right? As the wife is to walk in submission, the husband is to walk in love. Now let's read what he says here in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it. And cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members, one of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Right? Now, when you read verses 25 down to verse number 33, you'll find that there's a word that just keeps popping up here, keeps popping up in regard to the husband and the wife. It says, husbands, love your wife. 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 Right? It's over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I find it amusing. The Lord had to tell the wife one time, submit to your husband. And how many times do you have to tell the husband, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife? <laughs> I think maybe God's trying to tell us something here, right? I think many times, what's that? He knew it would be hard. Would be hard. Oh, whew. <laughs> it's going to be hard in that home tonight. <laughs> Woo! Brother, you want to come down to the front row? <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> yes, love your wife, brother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How after that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I know some of you are watching live stream. This is what you miss when you're just on live stream. You miss all of this. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to figure out where I was. So, 
Oh, man. These teens are down here cracking up. <laughs> what, are you guys, what are you guys even laughing about? You don't know anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. All right. Um, therefore, <laughs> husbands, love your wives over and over and over again. He tells us to love our wives. Again, as I mentioned, he only had to tell the wife one time this, right? Submit to your husband. But he tells the husband over and over and over. And I think it's because of comments like that that we have to keep getting that told to us, love your wife, love your wife, right? Um, and it's important, right? It's very important. So let's look here at what God says here to the husbands in regards to, uh, to love uh, toward the wife, right? Husbands, love your wife. So notice, first of all, why? Why? Well, that was the first question we asked about the wife, right? Why is the wife to submit to the husband? What was the reason? Anybody remember? Remembers the reason? What was the reason why the wife is to submit to the husband? Because God said so. Pretty simple, right? Husbands, why do you think we are to love our wives? Pretty simple. God said so, right? God said it. This doesn't take a lot of deep theological thinking here, right? Just as God said for the wife to submit to her husband... God says to the husband, this is what my will is for you. Just as God's will for the wife is to submit to the husband's, God's will is for the wife, or for the husband to love his wife. It is God's will. Again, this is not debatable. Husbands, love your wives. It's a command. It's given by God directly to the husband. Love your wife. Now, again, remember, God is the one who instituted marriage. He is the one who created man and woman, right? When you go back all the way to Genesis, God created male and female, right? By the way, that's the only thing that can make a marriage, male and female. That's what God says, right? I didn't, I didn't make up marriage, okay? I don't, I don't get to define what marriage is because I didn't make it, right? God gets to define it because God ordained it. God's the one that made marriage. He ordained it, so he gets to define it. Not you and me, not the government, not anybody else. God gets to define it. And God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. Of course, now in our society today, unfortunately, we have to say a natural-born man and a natural-born woman just because of just how crazy our world has gotten, right? He says God is the one that created man and woman. God is the one that instituted marriage, he is the one that brought them together in the garden in the first marriage. And therefore, because God is the one who created man and woman, God created male and female, God is the one that instituted marriage, he's the one that created marriage, therefore, he gets to decide what is to be done. Not us, right? God is the one that gets to decide how the marriage order is supposed to be and what is to be done. And that's why God says to the wife, your, God's will for your life is to submit to the husband. And God says to the husband, God's will for your life is to love your wife. That's what God's will is, right? 
Now again, here's, here's what's important. And if, if we don't get anything else, you don't get anything else from the, the, week, the message that we preached a couple weeks ago or tonight, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you want to say, hey, I am Spirit-filled, the wife will submit to her husband and the husband will love the wife. You cannot be Spirit-filled and not submit to your husband. You cannot be Spirit-filled and not love your wife. It's impossible. This is what God is saying. You want to know what the evidence of being spirit-filled is? Here it is. In the home, it is a wife that is submissive to her husband and a husband that loves his wife. That's the evidence of a spirit-filled home. God is the one that gets to decide this, and this is why he says, Husbands, love your wives. Now, how? How is the husband to love his wife? Well, again, these are, these are the same questions that we asked in the verses previous about the wife. How is the wife to submit to her husband? How is the husband to love his wife? Well, God tells us that because God wants us to be absolutely certain what it is, our responsibility is, what he expects of us, what he expects of the wife in marriage, what he expects of the husband in marriage. And so God is going to tell us, not only what we're to do, that we are to love our wife, but he tells us how. And he tells us how in several ways. Notice, first of all, he says, as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You want to know how God wants you as a husband to love your wife? He said, this is it. I want you to love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. The same way that Christ loved the church. Well, how did he do it? How did he love the church? Well, he tells us that too, right? And gave himself for it. He gave himself for the church. This is that agape love. This is God's love. This is, if we could say, this is the highest level of love possible. The highest level of love that God desires is the love that a husband has for his wife. The highest level. This is the love that a, that a husband is to love his wife with. It is an unselfish, sacrificial love. He gave himself for the church. And in the same way, Jesus tells us that we are to love our wives. When you think about an example of this, obviously we understand that Jesus Christ is the example, but I'm reminded back in Genesis chapter 29 when Jacob is, uh, he, he, leaves, uh, Abra uh, he leaves Abraham, or excuse me, he leaves Isaac and uh, Esau is out to kill him and he travels back to Haran and he uh, happens to come upon his uncle's place and uh, there, he, there he meets a beautiful young lady named Rachel and he says, hey, this is the one that I want to marry. And uh, he comes to Laban, and he says, hey, I want to marry uh, Rachel here. And uh, Laban says, hey, that's fine. I'll let you marry Rachel, but you're going to have to work for me for seven years. At the end of seven years, he says, then I'll let you marry Rachel. And Jacob says, that's fine, man. I mean, she, you know, she is, she is amazing, and I love her, and, and, and I'll be willing to work seven years to be able to marry her, Right? And, and this, is what Jake, this is what the Bible says that, about Jacob. It says that Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and this is what it says, and they seemed unto him but a few days. 
Now think about that. I don't know that I've ever thought seven years to be a few days, right? But the Bible says Jacob said that the seven years that he worked for Laban to be able to marry Rachel, he says it seemed unto him but a few days, and here's why, for the love he had to her. The love that Jacob had towards Rachel, those seven years didn't seem like anything. It just went by like that because of the love that he had for her. By the way, I think this is what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5 about charity when it says charity seeketh not her own, right? Charity, that, that love that, that God says we are to have, it's not about me. It's not about seeking my own. It's not about how I'm going to be able to benefit out of this and what I'm going to get out of it. It's about giving to the other. It's not about me. It's about her. It's not supposed to be about me. Do you understand that the church is It's not really... Understand what I'm saying here. The church is not about Jesus. The church is about us, that we are the church. And Jesus was willing to give himself for the church. He gave himself so that we could be part of the church. He gave himself so that we could be saved. Now, we understand that, man, yes, without Jesus Christ, we would not be able to have eternal life. But look, do you understand? Jesus doesn't need the church. Jesus doesn't need the church. We're the ones that need him, right? But yet he's the one that gave himself for us. And in the, in the same manner, when you think about this, this is what he says, that he gave himself for the church. And in the same way that, that Christ showed his love to the church, the husband is to love his wife, to be sacrificial, to recognize that the marriage is not supposed to be about me. And again, this is where I, I think that when you look at the order, we would think, hey, the husband is the head of the home, and we understand that's the order that God has placed. But I think when you look at, when you see how God speaks of marriage here, there is one person in the marriage that is to be cherished and is to be adored and is to be held in such love, and it's not us, guys. It's her. She's the one to be cherished. She's the one to be adored. She's the one to be loved. You see, it's not about us. It's about her. And this is what Jesus is telling us, that as he loved the church, so the husband is to love his wife. As Christ loved the church, that's how we are to love our wives. It's not about us, right? We think that, hey, everything has to be revolve around us. We're, we're the big cheese in the family, right? I mean, we're the head honcho. Everything should revolve around us. What I want, when I want it, how I want it. You know, this is when lunch should be. This is when supper should be. This is when, how everything, I want to go on vacation. This is where I want to go, and this is what I want to do. I mean, after all, I'm the one that provides for this family, and I do this, and I do that, and, and you, you know, wait a minute. It's not supposed to be about you. It's not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to be about her. Where's her voice in any of this? 
Well, but you don't understand, preacher. God says she's supposed to submit to me. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I talked about that. She is to submit to you. But you're supposed to love her. As Christ loved the church. That means she ought to be able to have a voice. That means she ought to be able to say, hey, you know what? It really doesn't work well with the, with the kids and with the job and things like this to have supper at 6 o'clock. It really would work better to have supper at 7 o'clock. And you know what the husband ought to say? Hey, if that's what works best for you, babe, I'm okay with that. But instead, many times as the husbands, we get this idea that, hey, it's got to be our way. Nobody else has a say in it. That's not the way that, that's not the way that Christ said that he loved the church. He gave himself for it. He was willing to sacrifice for it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Notice in verse number 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, not only are we to love our wife as Christ loved the church, but we're also to love our wife because he wants a church that is set apart. You understand what he's saying? Again, he's, he's bringing this correlation between the church and marriage here. And he's just talked about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, Jesus Christ, might sanctify who? The church. And cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he, Christ, might present it, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He says, you, you really want to know what, how, how Christ thinks about the church and, and what Christ desires for the church and what God wants for your marriage. He says, this is what it is. He wants a church that is set apart. And can I say, in marriage, he desires the same thing. A marriage that is set apart. It's different from all the other marriages, right? It's not the same. I mean, I'm telling you, you ought to be able to, to look at a Christian marriage and see there's something different about him. There's something different about the way that she talks to him and how he talks to her. I mean, honestly, it's sad when I, when I hear marriages that are supposed to be Christians and I hear how he talks to her in such derogatory, demeaning manners, and how she talks to him like he's an idiot and doesn't know nothing. And, and I'm thinking, this is they're supposed to be Christians? They're, 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 this is a Christian marriage? Wait a minute, no, no. Just as Christ wants the church to be set apart and different from the world, he says he wants the marriage to be the same thing. Our marriages are to be different from the rest of the world. If people want to know what a, what a godly Christian marriage should look like, they should be able to find it easily. Then why can't they? Why can't they? Because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Husbands, we're not loving our wives the way that Christ loved the church. Wives aren't submitting to the husbands the way that Christ tells us to as unto the Lord. And so what's happening is the Christian marriages look like just anybody, everybody else's marriage. There's no difference. Listen, 
the way that the way that the world sees your marriage and how you portray it in in your actions and in your voice and how you speak to one another they ought to be able to say there's something different there your children and you say well you know well we talk one way when we're out but when we get back in i'll let him know what he did wrong or i'll tell her what no wait a minute hold on aren't your children still there watching and observing isn't it, does, does it only apply when you're outside of the home? Is that how Jesus said, oh, husbands, love your wives only when you're outside of the home, but inside the home, you don't really have to do it that way. No, this is a permanent thing. It's a permanent thing. So why do we make an exception when we're outside, we'll do it one way, when we're inside, we'll do it a different way? It's not the way God wants it to be. That's like a Christian saying, well, I, when I'm in church, I'll live one way, but when I get outside of church, I'll live a different way. And we would say, well, wait a minute, that's not the way a Christian is supposed to live, right? A Christian is supposed to live the same Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, Sunday. He's supposed to live the same way. Does God not want the same thing in the marriage? No matter where we are, no matter what day it is, it ought to be the same. Husbands are to love their wife. The wife is to submit to the husband. He wants the church to be set apart. He wants the same thing in marriage. The husband is set apart for the wife. The wife set apart for the husband. Again, as we follow God's plan for marriage, it sets these, these Christian marriages apart from the world. He says that he might sanctify. That's set apart. And then he says, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He wants a clean church. He wants a clean church. By the way, he wants the same thing in marriage. He wants a clean marriage, right? As the husband loves his wife, what's it going to do? It's going to, it's going to help her draw closer to the Lord. Now, why do you think that, um, why do you think that when he says that the church, again, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that's the church, why do you think that the church might need some cleansing, why do you think the church, again, who's the church? Believers, right? So if believers were saved, right, you can't be part of the church if you're not saved. You can't be a child of God if you're not saved. So if we're part of the body of Christ, we're part of the church, then why does he say that it needs to be cleansed? I mean, haven't our sins already been forgiven? Are we already saved? So what is this cleansing that he's talking about, right? He says, that he might cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why, why, why do we need this cleansing here? Because we live in a wicked world, don't we? We live in a godless, wicked world. And whenever we are out in the world, whether that would be at our job or in the neighborhood or at the grocery store, or even in our home, right? The world tries to dirty us the world tries to taint us the world tries to to get us to see things the way that the world wants to and this is why he says down in the next verse that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing it's unfortunate but he wants the church spotless but you know the church has spots he wants the church to be clean and, and pure, but you know the church has wrinkles. 
you know? You can, you can wash a shirt or a pair of pants or something, and you get it out, and it's clean, but then what happens? If you don't hang it up right, you just kind of throw it to the side like my hooligans do after they mother has washed their clothes, and they're like, oh, clean clothes. Let's just throw them in the corner, right? What happens to them? They get wrinkled, don't they? What do you have to do when clothing gets wrinkled? You either have to iron it or you steam it. You do something to try to get the wrinkles out of it, right? You understand that he's saying his desires for the church to be spotless, his desires for the church to be without wrinkle. But do you understand that the church will not be without spot? The church will not be without wrinkle. Why? Because you and I are part of it. As long as we are part of it, there's going to be spots. There's going to be wrinkles. And so what does he do? As, as the spots are there and the wrinkles are there, that, that it needs to be cleansed. And what does he use to cleanse it? With the washing of the water by the word. He says he, he, he uses the word of God as Christians in our daily life. When we, get, when we start feeling dirty with the world, man, we need to get into the word of God. And we need to get our, our mind cleansed. And we need to get our, our, our ideas and our thought patterns cleansed. We need that cleansing. And it comes through the word of God. But now think about this. He's, he's using this idea in marriage as well. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hey, God's desire is that in our marriages they would be pure and they would be right and they would be clean. But guess what? Look, we live in a sinful world and we all make mistakes. We all fall. There's not one marriage that is perfect. And I know I just burst your bubble. You thought yours was, right? But I'm sorry to tell you, it's not. That's why we have the marriage retreat. (laughs) There's no marriage that's perfect. But you know what God says? There's a way to keep it clean. And as the husband will love his wife, as Christ loved the church, and as the husband will lead spiritually, then what does that do? It helps to sanctify. It helps to keep the wife and the home and the children as, as he is leading spiritually and, and trying. No, he look, ladies, your husband's not going to be perfect. And I don't have to tell you that. My wife can tell you I'm not perfect. Yet sometimes we expect the husbands to be perfect. Well, they're the spiritual leader. They should be perfect. No, they're not going to be perfect. But if you'll let them love you the way Christ loved the church... They'll do their best to lead spiritually and to lead in a way that will help you to grow closer to God. You understand? That's what God's desire is, is as we recognize there is some dirt and wrinkle, what do we need to do? We need to, we need to get cleansed by the Word of God. And as we recognize in our marriage, hey, that there's something that is wrong here. Maybe I did something wrong there or, or I said something wrong here. Or I, I, I spoke harshly to my wife or my husband or my kids or whatever it might be. Hey, you know what? I need to make that right and I need to get it right. And, and there's that cleansing of the word of God to help us to have a marriage that is pleasing to God. Because he wants to present a glorious church. He wants to present a church without spot or without wrinkle. He wants our, our, our marriages to be uh, marriages that are, that are setting the example to others around that even though people might say, hey, I'm not a Christian and I don't want to be a Christian, but let me tell you something. There's something different about your marriage that I wish was in mine. 
there's something different about the way that she treats her husband that I wish, I wish my wife treated me that way. And there's something different about the way that he treats her. And, boy, I wish, I wish my husband treated me that way. So there's, there ought to be something different there. As the husband loves the wife. And, and can I say, ladies, can I encourage you? Your job is to, to follow as your husband is trying to lead spiritually, right? It's not your job to lead the home spiritually. That's, that's the husband's job. That's the, the job that God has given to the husband. And I know sometimes ladies say, well, my husband's not doing it. Well, don't take the job from him. If you take the job from him, he will never do it. Never do it. If you just step in and say, well, he's not doing it, so I'm going to, then he'll never do it. You say, well, what do I need to do then? You need to submit to your husband. You need to encourage him, not nag him, but encourage him. You need to help him to be the spiritual leader that God wants him to be. And as he is drawing closer to God, that's going to help you to draw closer to God. It's going to help your family to draw closer to God. And this is why he says that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Guys, can I tell you, if you're married here tonight, you've got to take your responsibility and lead your home the way that God says to lead it. You are the spiritual leader in your home. You say, well, I don't know if I want to be. You don't get a choice in this. You don't get a choice. This is what God has said you are to be the spiritual leader in your home. So guys, take the responsibility that God has given you seriously. You say, well, I just, I just feel like my wife is, is more spiritual than I am. Join the crowd. You want to talk about who's more spiritual in my family? I guarantee it. It's 10 out of 10, her. There's no doubt about it. But can I tell you something? She doesn't try to lead spiritually. She lets me stumble and make mistakes and fall and prays for me and encourages me and helps me to be the husband that God wants me to be. Because by doing that, then I'm able to help her to be what God wants her to be in our marriage. We've got this idea, well, if they're not going to do it, then I'll just, take the, I'll just take charge. No, no, no. That's not the way God designed it to be. And ladies, if, you, if, you have a, if your husband may be, uh, may be new in the faith or maybe is not taking that job, hey, you need to sit down and encourage them and say, hey, I'm not going to lead spiritually. This is your job. I can encourage you, but this is your job, and I want you to take God's job seriously. I want you to lead it. And watch as God works in his life so that he can love you the way that Christ loved the church. But ladies, don't forget to submit to your husband as, as unto the Lord. To submit to him. He wants that clean church. Can I say this? In thinking about this here in this passage, he says that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I say this carefully because the world has taken this idea of love and true love and all this kind of stuff and they've just totally misrepresented it. But can I say this tonight? True love will always want what's best for the other. 
It always wants what's best for the other. And if you truly love your wife, men, you will, as, as you love her the way that you should, it will actually enrich the other person. You see, selfishness is just the opposite. Selfishness takes. Love gives and enriches. As you love your wife the way that Christ said to love the church, it will enrich her. It will help her to grow. We have this idea that love is all about me, and if I don't get everything that I want, then, that, then they must not love me. No, that's not what love is. Love is about what is best for the other. Do we love our wives the way that Christ says that we are to love them? If not, then we're not being the spiritual leader that God wants us to be. If not, we're not being spirit-filled if we're not loving the way Christ says to love. He says in verse number 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's an interesting thing that he says here. Again, here's another way that he says we are to love our wife. As you love yourself. As you love your own body, he says, that's how you're to love your wife. What does he mean by this? He that loveth his wife loveth himself. If you love your wife, love yourself. What, What does he mean by that? Well, he says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. If we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. If I truly love my wife the way that God tells me to love her, I'm going to love her just as much as I love myself. And let's admit it, we all love ourselves. We have no problem loving self. The question is, do you love your wife as much as you love yourself? If not, if you don't love your wife as much as you love yourself, here's the thing, you don't really love yourself. You say, now wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, preacher. If I don't love my wife as much as I love myself, then I don't love myself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there was something that God did on that day that you said your wedding vows to each other. On that day that you said I do, or whatever words you said, on that day that, that you were united in marriage, God did something. He took two people and made them one. One. So if you're saying that you don't love your wife, you are in essence saying you do not love yourself because you and her are one. And again, I don't think there's, any, I don't think there's anybody that would say I don't love myself. We all find that pretty easy. But in marriage, God says, here's where it really meets the road is, do you love your wife as much as you love yourself? Because nobody hates themselves. Everybody nourishes themselves. Everybody cherishes themselves. Everybody wants what's best for themselves. And if you do want what's best for yourself, then you should love her just as much as you love yourself. Because you are one. There is a oneness there that God says. And this is why he says, he, again, he uses this example. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You understand how much he loves us? You know why, you know why he says that Christ loves us so much? We're part of him. We're part of his body. 
That's why he loves us so much. That's why he wants what's best for you. That's why he wants to take care of you. And that's why he wants you to trust him because he says, you're part of me. And in the same way, in marriage, he says, when you become one, when God takes those two people and on that wedding day, when they say, I do, and God joins them in marriage and they become one, then God is saying, you should love her as much as you love yourself because she is part of you and you're part of her. And there ought to be that oneness there. There ought to be that love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He says, for this cause, watch what he says here, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. He says, here's, here's the, again, here's the illustration, right? You have two people coming together in marriage. What are they doing? They're leaving father, they're leaving mother, they're leaving the authority, and they're coming and making a new family. There's the two of them becoming one flesh. Now again, we can't do that. This is why he said this is a great mystery. Only God is able to do that. And even then, we still can't see them. I mean, look, when you're looking up at me right now, you are not seeing Jacqueline. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Greg. <laughs> She's sitting over there. But yet, God says we're one. Now again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying I understand how it all works. How God takes two people and makes them one. But what he's saying is, hey, even though there are two different individuals and two different personalities, God says that he takes them and makes them one so that now there's not two individuals here anymore. There's one. And what you do towards the other person is what you're doing to yourself. Wife, if you're not reverencing, if you're not submitting to your husband, you're doing it to yourself. Husbands, if you're not loving your wife the way that Christ, you're doing it to yourself. We think we're hurting the other person. No, you're hurting yourself. Because we're one. And this is what God says. And this is why he says it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife. <laughs> How many times have we seen that, guys? Love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. God says you are to love your wife. You're to love your wife. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're to love your wife as, as you love yourself. Because you're one. And just as we are one in Christ. Now man, thank God, we can never be separated from Christ. Amen to that? We can never be separated. We're always one in Christ. And as Christ loves us, he said in that same way, I want you to love your wife. Because you're one and how you love her simply shows how you love yourself unfortunately there's a lot of there's a lot of christian marriages where there's there's not a lot of love being shown between the other the, the spouses there's not submission being exemplified in the home and see can i say this is why it's so important because when we get into chapter number six, what is the first word of chapter number six? Children. You see, if God blesses your home with children, your children are watching to see, men, how you love your wife, and women, how you submit to your husband. And you're setting them up for exactly what their marriage is going to be like. If they don't see a husband that loves his wife, guess what they're going to grow up thinking? I don't have to love my wife. 
if they don't see a wife that submits to her husband as unto the Lord, they're going to have young ladies growing up thinking, hey, I don't have to submit to my husband. I'll lead the home. I'll do what I want. No, no, no. You see, we're even setting up for the next generation to fail because we're not willing to be obedient to God and what he wants for us today. This is why he says this is so important. This is why he says, be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Look, it's easy, it's easy to have a marriage that is filled with the flesh. It's easy. It's easy. The world does it, and Christians do it. It's easy. It's a lot harder to have a marriage that is spirit-filled. But I can tell you this, when you have a spirit-filled marriage, you're going to have a much better marriage than one that is filled with the flesh. And we have this idea that somehow, that even though we see all of the, the mistakes of flesh-filled marriages, and we see the failures, and we see the failures, and we see the failures, and then we look at spirit-filled marriage, and we think, man, that's amazing, that's pretty awesome, and boy, I wish I had a marriage like that, but I'm going to find it over here in the flesh. It's not going to happen. Why do we stay over here in the flesh? It's because it's easy. Because it takes work to have a spirit-filled marriage. It takes work to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Why? Because we're, we're both human. It takes work to, to, to show submission to your husband because, look, there's going to be times when he's going to fail. And he's going to mess up, and you're going to want to hold it in his face and say, I told you. Wait a minute. No. It's not the way that God wants it to be done. See, it takes a lot more work to have a spirit-filled marriage. But can I tell you this? It's what God wants. God wants spirit-filled marriages in Christian lives. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be spirit-filled? Are we going to be spirit-filled in our homes? Husbands, wives, are we going to be spirit-filled? Now, we're, we're, we'll talk to, about the kids next week and things, but that, that, that's not who's setting the standard in the home. Who's setting the standard in the home is the husband and the wife. What is that picture showing? Does it show a picture of Christ and how he loves the church and gave himself for it? Does it show a picture of the church being submissive to Christ the way that Christ would would want the church to do, or is it showing, uh, well, this is basically just the way the rest of the world lives. Marriage is just the same way that the rest of the world does. Hope it works out. If it doesn't, well, you know, it's probably their fault. It's not mine. I did my best. No. Why why do we want to flip a coin and think that hope that it works out? God said, you want to know how it's going to work out? It's right here. You want to have a successful marriage? Here it is. Have a spirit-filled marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's given us all that we need. The question is, are we going to be obedient to it? Are we going to follow it? Father, I pray you'd help us. Lord, it's so important in the world in which we live today to have marriages that are are spirit-filled. Lord, not just for the world to see, But Lord, even in our churches, our churches are filled with fleshly marriages. Husbands that do not love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives that do not submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. 
And then we wonder why we have so many problems in our marriages. Father, I pray you'd help us. Lord, the husbands and wives that we have in this building tonight, those watching via live stream, you would truly have a desire in our hearts that we would have spirit-filled marriages. Lord, it takes work, and that's why, that's why it takes being spirit-filled. We just want to act in our flesh, and we just want to do what we want, but we can't. We need to yield to the Spirit of God. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, husbands, to take the spiritual leadership that we need to take, wives to submit to the husbands in, in leading the home, still being able to have a voice, but yielding to the husband as he leads not holding things over our heads when we make mistakes. Lord, we're all going to make mistakes. Lord, may we follow your example. Love our wives as Christ loved the church. To submit to the husband as unto the Lord, just as we would submit to you, God. We would submit to our husbands. Lord, would you help us in this? These young people in this building and in this church, Lord, they need examples of godly marriages. And not just one or two, they need examples of a church full of godly marriages. Lord, help us in this. With their heads bowed and our eyes closed, we'll just stand quietly tonight. The piano's just going to play softly.